You're listening to Bull and Dave's Excellent Podcast, Chicago's Podcast. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Bull and Dave Show or Facebook.com forward slash The Bull and Dave Show. Buckle up, bitches. It's about to get juicy. Episode number 87, Bill and Dave's Excellent Podcast. I'm Dave. I'm your host, recording here in Chicago, Illinois. COVID's back. We're about a week away from election. It's been a while. Uh, I don't want to bore you with um, any dumb stories because there's really not a lot going on. I mean, we're barely out of quarantine and now everything's shutting back down again. So let's take you away from the sadness and the madness and uh, let's have some fun. I got a guest on the phone that you're going to like. You're going to like a lot. Uh, So let's just get right to it. All right, guys. Our guest today is uh, has worked with some people that you've heard of for sure. Kurt Russell, Ed Asner. He was good friends with Burt Reynolds. I mean, Lou Grant, Phyllis Diller, Raquel Welsh. Uh, The list goes on and on. He's an actor, producer, writer, director. He's done it all. And uh, he's here to talk about his new movie called Dream Round. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show, Michael Sequella. How's it going, Michael? It's going fantastic, and thank you very much for having me on your show. Oh, no, I appreciate it. I appreciate you coming on. And uh, and I'm excited for you, man, because, uh, you know, initial reaction on, on this movie, Dream Round, uh, I think it's been great, and it, and it sounds like it's a great movie. I, I'm excited about it. Um, it's it's got a little bit of everything. Obviously, it's got golf, but golf isn't the main character, and there's there's a lot going on here. Um, how did this project come together for you, man? I was playing Cog Hill, Dubs Dread in Chicago, Illinois. No I'm kidding, <laughs> Chicago. <laughs> Actually, there's a piece. There's a couple of pieces in the movie from Coghill and from Chicago. We shot um, there's some footage from 2006 that's in this movie from when my family passes away. But how the movie came to fruition was, I played a lot of golf. Nice. And I thought I could be somebody. You know, we all have a dream as kids to be an athlete, to be a star or whatever. And I thought, wow. I started playing golf, got good at it, thought I was great. And so... I wanted to do a golf movie. I wanted to do a Rocky golf movie where I win the whole thing. <laughs> I become a PGA player, and, and on Sunday morning, I beat everybody by 100 strokes. <laughs> that would be cool, but then, that's, so it started like that. What can I do with golf? And then I was watching Bruce Almighty with uh, Jim Carrey and, and Morgan Freeman. When I saw Morgan Freeman playing God, I went, wow, i got to get Morgan Freeman in there. And then I started blowing up an idea, and I came up with the idea of a golfer that was really famous many years ago, passed away, but somehow he's back as a ghost, and our golfer 
sees him, and that guy is going to make our golfer a better golfer. He's going to teach him tricks that he never knew before. So that's how it started when I wrote the original screenplay back in 2006 and seven. That's that's pretty awesome, and and although you didn't get Morgan Freeman, I feel like this is a close second. You got Richard Grieco, which I I know everybody right away they they go to Twenty One Jump Street, but I my, I like Richard Grieco in A Night at the Roxbury. I think he was brilliant in that. Um, so, yeah. but this isn't your first time working with Richard. So so was it was it tough to convince him to to come on, or was he into it from day one? Uh, all I got to do is say, hey, Rich, you want to play some golf? <laughs> Richard and I played a lot of golf in 2005, four, five, six, back when we did Forget About It with Burt Reynolds. And even afterwards, we became great friends and played a lot of golf. It was very competitive. So making a phone call, hey, Rich, you want to come to do our project? It was pretty easy. <laughs> uh, it wasn't that hard to convince him. I mean, he was a nemesis. He has to play the bad guy, but he always wears black all the time, so it was perfect. <laughs> you come out, dress him. You come out, dress like Tiger Woods, and uh, and uh, I'll kick your butt, and I'll make the ending of the movie better. <laughs> That's awesome. But, you know, we we had a yeah. Sorry, I'm sorry. I don't mean to keep cutting you. Oh no, you're fine. Add one more thing. Oh, when uh, so when we we did it, and we got ready to do the film. We had to get it rewritten to hire a local. A writer in Arizona, Lisa Houston, and she did a really good job on the rewrite. I think she did it in like a week. And then we were ready to shoot the movie. And then we started making phone calls and putting the cast together. Back to you, Tim, Jim, <laughs> Bob, Joe, whatever your name is. No, it's all good. <laughs> it's all good. I, I think uh, it, it's kind of cool. I love the background stuff on that, you know, the, with the rewrites and stuff. So from, from when you had this idea to make this film to it, it now coming out, it, uh, if I'm not mistaken, it uh, comes out what in about two weeks. It'll be available, right? November tenth. Yeah, about two weeks. Yeah, <clears throat> two weeks from today, exactly. That's awesome. So, uh, how long of a process is that for you? you? Come up with the idea. I'm going to make this movie, and now we're we're releasing it here in November 2020. Is it a year? Is it five years? We started. We started back in 1921 when I <laughs> first invented the. <laughs> Um, it's a process. We started shooting the movie in the summer of 19. It opened in theaters February 7th. We did a test. Then we're getting ready to do a major half the country on the 27th of March, but kind of COVID came and killed it. So it never finished its run. So from start to finish, it's been about 14, 15 months. Wow. Wow. And, and, and now it's opening. It's no, it's, oh, I was going to say, I think you were going to say the same thing. It's it, the, On November 10th, it's going to open. I'm reading over 60 countries. It's going to be on Redbox, Hulu, Vudu, Roku, Google Play, all your uh, Ukus and, 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 and iTunes and Amazon Prime. You're going to be all over, man. Xbox, Play Google, Google Play, and PlayStation, all the games. All the different countries. There's a lot of other little every digital format you can imagine on video on demand at first, and then it goes off into the, like the Netflix and Hallmark and all the other ones down the road six months later. Yeah, yeah, maybe but... a year later. I don't know when it finally gets there, but it's on all the video on demand platforms first. A lot of cable companies I've never heard of before, but it's out there. It's going to be everywhere November 10th. Now you you've been you've been in the business a long time, man. How how is uh distribution like that 
change in your eyes? I mean, does it make it easier to get something made or is it is it is it easier to get it made and harder to get it out to everyone or what what are some of the challenges? Uh, <clears throat> well, I've been doing it at Leah Ryan four decades for me and it was really tough in the eighties. It was only like the majors and a few minor majors. And, you know, and then the independent films started coming out late 80s, early 90s. And then if you did an independent film and if you didn't have major stars in it, you couldn't sell it. No foreign country wanted it. And the platforms were only foreign countries for their theater and their cable. They cable TV, we had video, uh, you know, VHS, and then it became DVDs and then Blu-rays. And the markets were big, but they weren't huge. And then, boom, streaming popped. And then all these kids, everybody popped up. And now it's a lot easier to get your product out there. I mean, you can even pay as an independent producer $500 or so to like an Amazon Prime and put your movie out there, but there's nobody pushing it behind you. So nowadays, nowadays it's good, but the hard part is raising the money. Trying to find investors nowadays is tough, especially with COVID. But even so, you know, everybody's afraid to do movies because the old thing was, oh, don't invest in a movie, you're going to lose your butt. In the old days, nobody made any money. Most of the people stole the money and they never finished the product. But when they got it done, they didn't know where to put it. So investors stay away from investing in movies. But if you're investing into a company that owns a bunch of movies, it's a lot easier to get money because I've got a library of films now. Right. first rodeo, that I don't know if I'd be able to even get my name, but because I've got films from the uh, you know, to 1990s and that's early 2000 all the way up to like this one coming on and one coming on February I think it's a little bit easier so hopefully that answered your question yeah yeah I always I always find that interesting because boy it's I think even in the last you know five years 10 years especially 20 years I mean, it's a totally different game, so that's always interesting to me. Uh, another thing that's interesting, at least for us, is trying to find uh, a Chicago tie. Uh, and I know we talked about uh, about about this movie, Dream Round, and and some of the things. Uh, but one thing I found interesting, and I didn't have to dig too hard, is uh, your word on the street is you're you're a bit of a blues guy, which obviously Chicago's a blues town, still is, always will be. Um, <clears throat> but I found it interesting, and and I didn't have to dig too deep to find uh, there was a trivia on your IMDb page. So I take it for what it's worth because I don't know who puts the content on there. And it said uh, in the late '80s there was a, a movie, and I remember this movie and the and the kind of the history behind it called uh, it was a John Belushi movie uh, called Wired. And then I read that you were cast to play John Belushi. And then production kind of came to a halt because the family wasn't a fan of it. And it wound up being made, and Michael Chiklis wound up getting the part instead. And, you know, this is late 80s, and I got to think that had that one had to hurt, being that, you like, that, that you're a blues fan, and obviously Belushi is an icon. Um, I mean that had to be a kick in the nuts, man. And I'm not trying to be a downer, but do you re- how do you rebound from something like that? Sweet home, Chicago. <laughs> um, Ted Swanson was a good friend of mine. Ted produced Rocky, Caddyshack, Lucky Lady. He did a lot of films. Uh, so when they got ready to be wired, written by a wonderful writer that did the uh, Watergate stuff. I can't think of his name. He broke the Watergate. Oh, man, who wrote the book? They did the script. 
And I went to like seven or eight callbacks and I finally got it. I don't remember the director and we were at the 20th century lot, 20th century studios in Culver city. And I was all excited. And then a couple of weeks later, they called up and said that Aykroyd and Judy Belushi and Universal sued and no one could make the movie. They were able to get John Peters, uh, Barbara Streisand's ex-husband from many years ago, the hairdresser. They got him on board, and they raised $18 million from a logging company in New Zealand. And they didn't want to go with me because I looked too much like John. I was too, my antics, everything they said were too close. He wanted to go a different way. He wanted to go with a different, so that's where they got Michael Chiklis. And obviously, it launched his career big time. The movie bombed big time. But it made Michael Chiklis what he is today. It really launched him. I did a CBS documentary of John Belushi. And then I ended up, when I was filming in Chicago at the Boulevard Mall. Sorry, when I was filming in Las Vegas, the Boulevard Mall. John, John Belushi was filming 1941, higher than a kite, jumps a private plane, flies to Vegas, gambles all night, meets some girl. And before he starts gambling, he slows. He's wearing his army clothes from the film. You know, some Boulevard Mall, and he goes to the Chess King, if you remember Chess King, and he buys new clothes, leaves his movie's clothes right there, and takes off the gamble all night, jumps on a plane, and goes back right to the set, never got any sleep. I was shooting that scene, <clears throat> a producer from Legend in Concert, his name was Nelson Foster, he did the Barney Miller show and something else. And Nelson came up and said, we really could use the Blues Brothers in our show, Legend, say, oh, what's that? Well, it was a big lookalike show, we got to sing, and they look like the original. They had Elvis, they had Buddy Holly, they had Merriman, and I had a great show. I went to a show after film and I loved it, but I could sing the lick. So I got my, I got to do the Blues Brothers, and I was in the Vegas show Legends of Concert for six years, 85 to 91, doing John. Wow. And I made the cover of a lot, I've been on a lot of magazines, I've got great articles, great critics wrote about my antics, about my gymnastics. Keep going real fast, I know when I, the producer, it's the longest running independent successful show in Vegas history called Legends in Concert. They were at the Flamingo. I'm sorry, they were at the, uh, the Palace, uh, Imperial Palace, then they went to the Flamingo. Now they're at the Tropicana, but they're going back to the Flamingo. Johnny said to me, look, we, uh, Nelson said, when you get the show together, come see Johnny. We called Johnny the producer, so come on up and see it. So, uh, I had uh, auditions out in Phoenix, Arizona, and I found in Elwood. We rehearsed, went to the band. We opened up for Huey Lewis. Oh, a wow. place called After the Gold Rush in, in Tempe, in Tempe, Arizona. We opened up for him. We did the show, Crowd Went Crazy. We jumped on a plane on Sunday. We flew up to Vegas. Uh, Mr. Stewart and Nelson Foster took us, and they had us audition between shows, because in Vegas they do it, uh, two shows. So the first show ended at like nine or nine, I think nine, and then we rehearsed with the band audition the owner ralph Engelstad, who owned the casino so i want them in the show tonight but it, we had a rehearsal with the conductor we did three songs our first night and we flew in and monday we rehearsed at this guy's house all day and tuesday we were in the show for three straight weeks but we all had to go home i wasn't we weren't ready we didn't have any clothes so we told john hey we need some time off so john said go get some singing lessons because you could you know polish up your singing because i couldn't sing drop i was screaming and he needed something to do better cartwheels. He'd look kind of sloppy. So we got back to Arizona. My mom and dad lived here. I was in L.A. And Eric, my partner, who recently passed away, he had a sunflower. He had, no, sorry, he had a food feed business for animals. So we rehearsed some more in his feed shop on all the bird seed and dog food. It was crazy. 
And I made a phone call to a gym in Chandler, Arizona. Guy answers the phone and I said, hi, my name is Michael Sequela and I need to learn gymnastics. Because how old are you? Like, I'm 27. He goes, why do you want to go so late in life? You should have done it when you were seven. <laughs> and I said, no, no. He goes, how much do you? And I said, I don't know, maybe 200. He goes, you what? Are you kidding me? You what? You want to do what? I go, yeah, you'll do backhand streaks, cartwheels, aerials, roundoffs. And he goes, no, oh, really? Yeah. Well, anyways. He goes, well, I don't own the place. I'm here training some people. It ended up being Kurt Thomas, who boycotted the 1980 Olympics. Wow. So I went there, and the first thing he said to me, let me lie, you're going to be sore tomorrow, but in two or three days, you won't even be able to walk. But I guarantee you, when you go back to Vegas in two weeks, you're going to look fantastic. And sure enough, man, my feet were pointed. I was doing backhand springs, roundoffs, aerials, one-arm roundoffs, one-arm cartwheels. And I took voice lessons from a lady. I don't remember her. When I went back to Vegas, we killed it. And I ended up doing six straight years. And I love the blues. It is a big time tie to Chicago. My ex lives in Chicago. My daughter went to high school in Lockport in Illinois. She's at the University of Kentucky now. And I performed my blues show at Joliet at the Empress Casino. Come on. Many, many times. Come on. That's no, awesome. Kidding. That's awesome. And, I, and that's what I love about like, like this kind of stuff to, 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 to hear like with, th- with that kind of a background and you're making movies and producing and directing. I mean, you even got stand up in your background and I, and I read that you opened up for, oh, yeah. for, for Charo, Tony Bennett, um, Raquel Welsh. I mean, these are some like giant names, uh, I get nervous just Beach reading Boys them. The MGM. <laughs> Beach Boys? Beach Boys. I did We I did the Beach Boys and the MGM, and then I took them to Sun City, Africa. We played over there. <clears throat> yeah, I did all that. But, you know, I'm not that young anymore. I mean, I wasn't born yesterday. I'm 96 years old. I look good for 96, but, you know, I've been around. Well, so like you, okay. you, you have all that, you know, obviously with the comedy and, 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 and all that background and, you, and you're writing, you're producing, you're directing and you're acting. That's a lot of different hats. Do you have one that's your favorite? Yeah, I like making spaghetti. <laughs> I like cooking. That's my favorite. No. Uh, that's because the comedian side of me, I'm so sorry. <laughs> yeah, my favorite is real. I, I like, uh, I like performing, acting, entertaining. That's number one. Number two is directing. Producing was up near the top, but I hate it now. I hate uh, being in charge of all the people. I hate, hate when everybody comes up to me for money. I need a check. I need, I need, I need, I need. And you're trying to do an acting job. Or you're trying to direct. How the heck can you stay focused on your character when you got 15 people and they need money for props? I got to buy lunch. I gotta, bah, bah, bah. You can't do it, but I like it. But right now, it's like the bottom of my list. Writing's fun when I'm in the groove. When I'm not in the groove, I can't write. Yeah. But I sat down and wrote like nine screenplays in 2015 and 16. And so that's what I'm trying to make most of my projects right now because there's some great stuff that I'm doing. Yeah, and I, and I want to talk about another one. Um, and, and, and I know it wasn't necessarily uh, on, on the uh, – I, I don't know if it's okay to talk about sometimes when you you know you get some direction on, on what we're going to talk about, but uh, Carolina's calling is a very interesting one, and, and and if I if I'm not supposed to talk about it, just stop me. Um, but but that's an interesting one. Uh, it's got Antonio Sabato Jr., um, Stacy Dash, who our our audience would know Stacy from uh, as as Dion from uh, Clueless, um, which is seems like this this one's got some legs as well. Um, what can you tell us about that, or can you tell us anything? I thought you were talking about something else. <laughs> no, it's about <laughs> Carolina's Calling. It's a comedy with an alien twist. 
And it does have Antonio Zabala Jr., the Calvin Klein underwear guy. Then he was a soap opera star. Then TV, then movies. He ran for Congress. He lost. Stacey Dash, yeah, everybody loves her from Clueless and Mo Money and some other stuff she was in. She uh, killed it. She absolutely killed it. Her crying scene, her emotions when she gets beat up by her ex-husband in this movie. It's just like, you want to just cringe when you see this scene. She's amazing. They have a kid in it called Jacob Hopkins, which is the same, with the same PR firm as I am. Jacob, uh, they're trying to mold him into the next Leonardo DiCaprio. I had a call from a huge company in New York asking me questions about him. How does he work? Is he a good actor? We're thinking about putting him in a film. They raised over $100 million for this picture, Jeez. and they want this kid to be the lead in it, and they call on me for reference. <laughs> Anyways, the picture, um, I, I'm in it shortly, but I directed it. I play a Tomcat. My partner is Martin Haas. Martin Haas is the Antonio character. And we're developing continuous energy. We're engineers, technician types. And our goal is to get rid of fossil fuel. Basically, run the whole world on a little continuous energy that never stops. Like the Tesseract in the Avenger movies. So ours is called the Radiotron, and we're working on it. Well, five years earlier, I'm impatient. I want to start it up to see if it works. He's driving. He's stuck in traffic. So he tells me to wait, and I hang up on him. So I go ahead and try it. And I blow everybody up in our lab and blow myself up. Five years later, Antonio has finally got to figure out. He's got a good crew. He's in a better, bigger and better lab. And he's waiting for the special metal that only comes from a certain small country in Africa. A palladium, platinum, gold, and some other, all, all put together. And it's really bendable. So by it's a great conduit for the electricity that it needs for the inside of radiotron. So it finally shows up, and while he's doing that, he keeps hearing, come to Carolina. He sees billboards, South Carolina, beautiful beaches, Myrtle Beach. And in bed at night, he dreams about walking up to a barn, and every time he opens the door, everything turns white. He never gets to see what's on the other side of the door. So he's being bombarded by these sayings about Carolina. Well, he finally goes to the airport with a over-the-counter, picks up the metal, goes back. And a few days later, he's got it working. They're excited. It works. A small cube the size the size of your hand could run a ten thousand square foot home. Something the size of a, uh, uh, let's say, a Volkswagen car could run fifty thousand homes. Something big like a train, a one piece of a train or a huge bus could run a million homes in a city. So he goes to a big convention to meet the oil guys, the energy guys, deep pockets, and he does a presentation, which is incredible. But you got thirty or forty of these big, you know, well dressed, very powerful men and women in that energy business saying, no, no, we can't give this guy money. We can't help him out. It's the end of our business. We'll be out of business. No more barrels of oil. No more, no more, no more. So they basically shoot him down. He's broke. He doesn't know what to do. He goes to the pawn shop, sells a bunch of metal stuff that he saved all his life, some watches, grabs his daughter saying, we're going to Carolina. She doesn't want to go with him. She's 17. They go, they go to South Carolina and they check in. And within minutes, she falls in love with this Jacob Hopkins character. Good looking, blue eyed, blonde hair, southern, you know, southern, uh, the south surfer dude in small ways, not like California, but <laughs> he's cool. She likes him and they get to go hang out and they fall in love, of course. He then goes to a shop looking for something for her daughter on her birthday and he meets Stacy Dash. She runs a little boutique. He buys from her. They flirt. They like each other and it goes on. She has a nasty ex husband that thinks he owns her, possesses her, and she gets a black eye. And Antonio feels sorry, he's trying to help her out, but he's more of a scientist than a fighter. He's a lover, not a fighter. He 
He finally takes a drive in the woods out there in Carolina, and he sees that barn he's been dreaming about. Wow. When he finally goes there, he opens it up in his old hick. His name is Charlie. Hi, new barn. We've been waiting for you. So this little guy, this little guy, <laughs> real hick, redneck, takes Martin, takes Antonio to the barn. He goes, ah, I want to show you something. And there's crap all over the freaking barn. And they're trying to put something together, but you don't know what it is. But he's got, you know, like airline parts, plane parts, spaceship parts. So beginning of the movie, when I blew myself up a family and hit a spaceship. And that spaceship was here looking at our satellites because the, every time we send signals up, it's going four point something light years away and it's killing their brains. So here and here, he's here to seek and destroy whatever it was that's we're beaming up there. Well, he crashed land because he got hit. His, his machines all busted up. No more, no more spaceships. So he took all the parts and are building something. So when Charlie says, hey, Bob, come out here, here comes this eight-foot-tall cute alien, cute alien talking just like a right now. I know mine. My name's Bob. You can have spell forward and back with B.O.B. You can never get a wrong one of beer. Oh, I love beer. Anyways, he drinks a lot of beer. He loves beer, loves life. He speaks like a freaking redneck. Antonio's shocked. They all become friends. The daughter meets him. The girlfriend meets him. Everybody falls in love. The whole thing. The bad boy gets involved, and Martin can't take care of it, so obviously he's going to use the alien. I don't want to give it away. <laughs> and then, you know, uh, they're going to build this teleportation system that will take like seven seconds to send them back to his planet. And that's what they need the radiotron, the cube, the continuous ah. energy cube that they built. It's going to help power. If the hick and the old guy have burned up every damn circuit in the whole, every town around them, and they're not allowed to use electricity anymore. So they're going to use this radiotron. That's awesome. Well, Carolina's calling, and it, and it looks like a February release yeah that that one i've heard a lot about too and and that's one that looks exciting and and if you got an eight foot tall alien that drinks beer i'm watching that i, I don't care i don't care what it is and uh it oh, sounds like a, it sounds like a good one um now i've I, i've i've gone through and watched a bunch of interviews that you've done and and i try to do things i try to make sure i don't ask the same questions i mean inevitably you get some of the same ones but uh there's one uh i know that keeps coming up that you you were friends with burt reynolds and uh, you guys became pretty good friends. And I always wonder, is Burt Reynolds a guy that you want to play poker with, or is he a guy, is he, like, dealing from the bottom of the deck? Oh, no, he's a, he's a straight-up stand-up guy. Yeah. Everybody thought he was, you know, he got so famous, he was like, I'm a You know, he had entourage, body guys, it was tough to get to him, he had to be that way. I mean, we were at the clothes house. He did that spread in 1971 or two, and He could have won the Academy Award for that. He got nominated a couple of times. He did some great pictures. He got nominated again for Best Supporting Actor in Bruce with that Diggler movie with uh, Mark Wahlberg. I can't where they were porno producers, or whatever. And yeah. he he's great. And you, if you had a chance to get to see him or know him or hang out with him, he talks like a regular guy. Got great stories, not just about acting, about life. About oh my God, you know what happened? Oh, let me tell you about. It. He talks a lot about football because he was a quarterback for FSU, Florida State University. Yeah. And then, you know, he loved Quentin. They adopted him and Lonnie Anderson adopted this, their son, Quentin. Quentin, at the time, I knew him from 15 to like 17, and he had the hots for my daughter. And so, you know, Bert was always pushing Quentin 
to hang out with me and my daughter. Quentin was a great golfer. Bert couldn't golf because of his back. I mean, we did a lot of stuff with Bert. And, you know, to go out to a restaurant or to a golf course or to go get a golf cart and they're putting the golf bags in. And for Bert to be smacking me around like Dom DeLuise in the Cannonball Run movies, it was hysterical. <laughs> Everywhere we went, people thought I was Dom DeLuise, even though I was Michael Sequella. But we would go out and I became that character. I remember being in line at uh, talk about how good he is. Okay, here's all these kids. They know who he is. Even kids today know Burt Reynolds. And we were at the counter at Wendy's in Mesa, Arizona. And they recognized him immediately. And all the girls were giggling, and the guys and the manager came out, and they're like, oh, my God, oh, my God. And Burt was so nice. He signed, gave everybody an autograph. And every all the time between the talking and, and giggling and laughing with everybody else, he comes smacking me. And if people couldn't stop laughing, we got filmed, we had pictures taken. You know, and uh, you don't do that if you're a prick. If you deal from the bottom of the deck, you're self-centered. All you care about is yourself and you step back step. He's not like that. So whatever you heard, don't worry about it. He's a great sweetheart. Yeah, he sounds like, yeah, you know, for, from, I don't know much about him, but everybody knows Burt Reynolds. And I know there was a time for sure where he was arguably the, like, the biggest, the biggest star on the planet. And, uh, and, and yeah, it's, it's always cool when you, when you hear, that's not a name that comes up very often. Like, I, I don't know that we've had anybody on that had any connection to Bert and, and he's definitely a guy that, that we admire. And I just always, I, I love to hear stories like that. And, and, uh, you know, it's, uh, it was a shame that we, that we lost him, but boy, uh, some of his work, it's, uh, some of the best around, man. It's, it's, it's awesome. He, he still holds. He's the record holder for the number one consecutive $100 million movie at the box office. Uh, year after year after year. It started in 77 and didn't end until like 82 or 83 or 84. He's got like five or seven consecutive years of $100 million movies. More than Tom Cruise, more than anybody else. Wow. Wow. He holds that record to today. Still holds it. That's crazy. He, he shot, he shot Smokey in the back. He got a call from his stud coordinator, buddy. Hell need him said, hey, Hal, goes, hey, Bert, I got a script we're developing. You want to do it? We only got a million bucks. But they were best friends. He goes, sure, let's do it. It was called Smokey and the Bandit. Uh, Smokey and the Bandit back in 77 made $350 million. Oh, my God. Big movies today barely make that much money. <laughs> only movies make that kind of money are the Avengers, you know, the big, big superhero movies, the big, big movies make that kind of money. I don't even know if Star Trek, which I love, made it. I mean, I'm a big Trekkie. I don't even know if they made that much money. That little Smokey did. Oh, Launched them in a super, super, super stardom. Me, I'm a bum. <laughs> I make about a buck fifty. I wouldn't say that, man. This movie, Dream Round, it comes out November 10th. It's going to be everywhere. I mean, I, I could go down the list, but I mean, basically, if you got an internet connection, uh, you're going to be able to find it. Eventually, you'll see it in Best Buy, Target, Walmart, all, all those other retail outlets. But let's be honest, you're yeah. probably going to watch it on uh on on hulu or something like that and so if you just look it up it's called dream round and uh it's uh starring our friend michael sequela wrote it directed it produced it stars in it and uh it's it's a it, it looks like it's a great story i'm excited to see it uh you can follow michael on uh instagram it's at michael sequela if you look at michael sequela actor on facebook or just YouTube, put his name in. You're going to find all of his stuff. Um, Michael, it's been really a pleasure getting to talk to you, man. I appreciate the stories, and uh, and, and and hopefully someday we'll get to see that that John Belushi. Yeah, well, I'm going to do a – we're doing a premiere for Carolina's Calling, 
and I'm coming out of retirement to do my show. So if you come to the red carpet, after that, we're going to do a wine and cheese, you know, like a little get together, but I'm going to do about an hour and a half of my Blue Bell show. That's awesome. For special audience only that night, I'll be out of retirement. Yes, I'll be doing it. And one, one real quick, I know you're going, is a little girl, and her name is Alexa Loman, that plays my, this little neighbor in Dream Round. She had open heart surgery on the 22nd. Her chest was caving in and crushing her heart. They put a bar in there that she has to wear for three years. So that little kid, uh, you know, everybody's been putting out prayers and stuff for her, but she really needed some help. And she's the star of our movie. And, I, you know, we needed to stay alive and we needed to do really well. That's what I want to say. You know, keep her, keep her in their thoughts when they see the movie. Absolutely. The kid went through drama. Absolutely. Yeah. Alexa Lohman, when, uh, yeah, yeah, definitely thought our thoughts and prayers will go out to her and, uh, and, and, and I'm looking for, I'm looking forward to the film and, uh, it's going to be, it's going to be a fun one. It's going to be fun. Are you going to be watching numbers as soon as the thing gets released? I want to be watching numbers and I'm going to be watching all the women watch me cry on the couch in this movie. <laughs> yeah, my mother cried when we, I took her to the premiere. She cried too. I mean, I was watching women cry. I'm like, I can't believe I made people cry. Wow. I cry in the movie. So yeah, I'll be watching numbers and my face. <laughs> well, check him out at Michael yeah. Sequela uh, on Instagram for sure, Facebook and all that stuff. Michael, thank you so much for coming on, man. Best of luck. And you as well. Thank all you right. very much for your time. Yep. <laughs> Bye. Well, there you go, Michael Sequela. How about that? We got a good story of Burt Reynolds slapping him around a little bit. Uh, to me, Michael Sequela doesn't look like a guy you'd want to slap around, but if you're Burt Reynolds, you can get away with it. But guy's been around for forever. He's been in the industry for 40 years. He's got a ton of great stories. Uh, it was a pleasure having him on. Make sure you check out his movie. Uh, it's called Dream Round, and uh, really it looks good. We're going to put the uh, the trailer in the um, – uh, we'll put it in the show notes. So if you go to the website and uh, – Click on it. Uh, you get some information. We'll put the trailer to Dream Round. You're going to be able to see it everywhere, 60 countries. Anywhere you watch or consume your content, you'll be able to find this thing. It's got uh, Michael, obviously, stars in it, uh, Richard Grieco, and uh, like he had mentioned, Alexa Lohman. Um, yeah, so check it out. Support the movie. Support these films. Support our guests. We appreciate it. Uh, come out and drove Chicago. We know you can do it. Uh, make sure you like us on facebook instagram uh give us uh, a rating ratings always help whether it's good or bad uh, rating is a rating and uh, if you give us like a five star i'll appreciate it if you give us a one star you're a dick but i'll still appreciate at least uh, i know you're listening so cool well, i appreciate you uh tuning in subscribing telling your friends uh i see you on the socials liking and commenting and all that fun stuff so uh yeah till next time Thank you for listening. Please be sure to subscribe and rate us. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Bill and Dave Show or Facebook.com forward slash The Bill and Dave Show.